Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Tonight our text is found in verses 7 through 10. Don't laugh at me too much. This is the only bottle I had, so it's a big bottle. So it might take me a while. I'll be back with you in just a second. <laughs> okay. We're moving very quickly through this book now at the end, just one chapter away from completing our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. And what we find Solomon doing now is, is pretty much summing up much of what he has already said to us about life under the sun, which when you see that particular description under the sun, it, it, it means something. It means uh, that he was looking at life from the position of people that were just living life without God under the sun. Above the sun, of course, would be that we live our lives here on earth, but we have trust in the God who is above this life and this existence. As we saw last time in the first part of this particular chapter, Solomon was dealing with how we are to have a heart of, of giving. And uh, as, as part of what we are to do in this life until Christ comes, until, until we're taken home or until the Lord comes. What we are to do. We are also to realize that though we don't know everything, and we can't ever know everything while we're here on this earth, we continue then to, you know, to look to the Lord who makes all things and know that he knows all things. And so much of the book of Ecclesiastes is based on that understanding that we are to trust in the God who created all things. Remember your creator. This is how we see the very beginning of chapter 12. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, while the evil days have come. And so we have to be understanding of his place with us as we near the end of this particular life. As we begin in verse 7, which is where we'll start tonight, he places now a focus on eternity. And we'll see this throughout the rest of the book. He says in verse 7, Truly the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee in, into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. 
A story is told about a humble, godly pastor whose young son had become very ill. After the boy had undergone an exhaustive series of tests, the father was told the shocking news that his son had a terminal illness. The youngster had received Christ as his savior, so the minister knew that death would usher him into glory, but he soon would die. After earnestly seeking the direction of the Holy Spirit, he went with a heavy heart through the hospital ward to the boy's bedside. First, he read a passage of scripture and had a time of prayer with his dear child. Then he gently told him that the doctors could promise him only a few more days to live. Are you afraid to meet Jesus, my boy? Asked his devout father. Blinking away a few tears, the little fellow said bravely, No, not if he's like you, Dad. Not if he's like you. Joseph Bailey, in his book, The View from a Hearse, tells of what he said to offer hope to a woman whose small son was dying. It's good to know, isn't it? I spoke slowly, choosing my words with unusual care, that even though the medical outlook is hopeless, we can have hope for our children in such a situation. We can be sure that after your child dies, he'll be completely removed from that sickness and suffering and everything like that and be completely well and happy. If I could only believe that, the woman replied, but I don't. When he dies, I'll just have to cover him up with dirt and forget I ever had him. It is sad, but more often than not, this woman's words express the hopeless plight of so many people all around us. Two very similar situations, two very different perspectives on the preparation for death and eternity. Sadness, yet hopeful on the one hand, despair, and utter hopelessness on the other. Solomon, is, in his observations of life both under and above the sun, has wisely commented on the, on the need to enjoy life while preparing for the inevitable and the unexpected, which is death. As he draws near the end of this wonderfully honest and revealing book, he reminds us to accept life as a gift from God and to enjoy all that the Lord gives us, all the while remembering our spiritual responsibilities. Life indeed is a venture in faith and must be lived in the knowledge and presence of Almighty God. To do anything less 
is vanity. Going back a few chapters, Solomon reminds us in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 10 through 13, he said, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the, heart, the world in their heart. He has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Our text today is written to and for young people to encourage them to take advantage of their youthful days, to enjoy them as a gift from God, and to seek the Lord for the strength to live them wisely as they grow into maturity. It makes me wonder sometimes, before, before we go on, it makes me wonder sometimes what it is that our youth are really listening to, what their youth are really hearing, if it isn't coming from us. God has given us a responsibility to train up a child in the way he should go. And that is a responsibility, I think, that most of us have taken seriously. But the enemy has a way of, 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 of attacking those aspects in our lives, you know, that, that involve our children. I think we see it today with, with the liberal, uh, progressive kind of uh, educational system that we have in the public schools. And then seeing how it's being affected in, 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 in higher education, and universities and colleges. And as we saw in the film the other day, uh, dealing with education, that most of those who want to change our, our children to the, to the worst part of it, in other words, to control them, to, to take them away from God, to take them away from any belief in God. You know, this is, this is what's happening. It's happening around us. And the sad thing is that it's even happening in, 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 in seminaries that are quote-unquote Christian seminaries. So while Solomon is writing this, and again, I want, I rem, I want to remind you that he, he's, he's, he's wanting them to take advantage of their lives as young people, but knowing that their life is a gift from God. Their every breath is a gift from God. And that breath and that gift should never be taken for granted. To teach them to seek the Lord while he may be found. To call on him while he is near. And we understand God is always near. It's us that move away. In our youthful pride, we move away. Sometimes it's in our youthful arrogance that we move away, thinking that we know everything. We know better than our folks. We've talked about this in this, in this book before. 
But let me just say that there's no suggestion here that young people have no problems or the older people have no joys. No. Solomon just knows that days of darkness will come soon enough. And that little phrase, days of darkness, has to do with death. He says those days will come soon enough when the problems of old age begin to reveal themselves and thoughts of death become a present reality. <clears throat> He's not saying to young people, just, just think about death. What he's saying is live your life as unto God who gives life. And, and commit any understanding as, as, to, as to the days that are to come. But there will be realities to face. But if we face them, we face them knowing that God is in control. It is as foolish to grow old and to think that death is not inevitable as it is for the young to think that they're invincible. I want to say that again because I don't want you to miss that statement. It is as foolish to grow old and to think that death is not inevitable as it is for the young to think that they're invincible. Some of you may remember the 1979 Francis Ford Coppola movie, Apocalypse Now. Who remembers that movie? Okay. That was a weird movie. But the basis of this movie was the 1899 classic book, Heart of Darkness, which was, which was written by Joseph Conrad. I was reading about Joseph Conrad not too long ago. Um, I'd written, I read the book many years ago, but he had commented on his own life, kind of as a, in an autobiographical sense. He'd commented on his life from youth to adulthood. And he wrote this. I thought it was very relevant here. He wrote, I remember my youth and the feeling that will never come back anymore. The feeling that I could last forever. Outlast the sea, the earth, and all men. Boy, he, he really describes the way a lot of young people think today. That they can just outlast life outlast everything. And the way he put it, you know, the feeling that I could last forever. Tonight we, we want to examine life. And we want to examine it as a venture of faith. A venture of faith on the road to joy. We talked about it, that a little bit last time. We, we got life as a, a venture of faith in giving generously. Tonight we want to focus on two things, the, the road to joy and the road to eternity. So let's begin with life, a venture of faith on the road to joy. In verses 7 and 8, the text that we have before us here today. 
For Solomon says, truly the light is sweet. And a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. Now, that's figurative, okay? <laughs> He's not saying go ahead and look at the sun with your eyes. We're always told you're going to go blind if you do. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness. But they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. So having reminded us of how fragile life is and how limited our understanding of it is, Solomon encourages us to celebrate every hour of daylight. And by the way, you know that we ought to really get out and be in the daylight as much as we can. There's a lot of vitamin D there for us. You know, the, 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 people, we've been finding out that too many people are, 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 are lacking vitamin D in their, in their lives. And you get it by being out in the sun. I mean, take precautions if you have sensitivities to the sun, but you can get some good vitamin D there. Of course, you can also get it from prescriptions and pills and whatever. But in this particular sense, it, it's, it's a good thing to celebrate every hour of daylight, to give thanks to God that we can see things and see his creation, see the things that he has made, see the things that he's called us to do. We never really want to be in the dark. That was kind of weird. You know, I got, I've got to mention this. I, I have to confess something to you. You know, being a kid growing up, you know, I was, I was always very, you know, much drawn to music. So, you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, I, I was getting into all kinds of weird music, you know. So there were these little uh, kind of funky looking stereos, you know, you put your 45s or, you know, you you're 33 and a thirds. Some of you may not know what I'm talking about. Records, albums, vinyls, you know. Anyway, you put them on. I, I, would, I, would, I, I used to listen to Jimi Hendrix in the middle of the night, my room. As loud as I could because I, I would hear, you know. But I'd just be listening. Purple haze. Then I got, then I started getting into stuff like, you know, the, you know, when the Beatles, you know, they used to go to India and they would listen to these Indian guys play the sitar. Then I got an album about, from Ravi Shankar, you know, he was the big, you know, sitar player. And I, you know, um, I didn't know what I was doing, what an idiot. But it was in the middle of the night, no lights on. That's dumb. Go to sleep. Darkness is for you to sleep. Wake up in the morning and enjoy the brightness of the light. We do weird things. Well, we did weird things. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I just wanted you to know. But, but the point is that the enemy wants us to be in darkness. The Lord wants us to be in light. That's pretty clear. I mean, you know, when you get to <clears throat> Paul talking about that in, in, in many of his letters, about being in light and not in darkness. Remember this, that light was the first thing created, and it was good. So that we might be able to see all that God has made. 
and rejoice in what God has made. You know, there's a sweetness to the life that God gives. It's even sweet to the wicked because they, they will find their reward here alone on the earth. Consider Psalm 17, verses 13 through 15, where the psalmist says, Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy, with thy likeness. And, and, and so he again, well, here the psalmist does what Solomon has been saying. Talks about the fact that men will be in this life, men will be prospering, men will be filling themselves with treasures, giving it to their children. And, and what does Solomon talk about throughout the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes as well as the book of Proverbs? He talks a lot about doing that, but where are you going to go? And what's good, what good is it going to be if you give all of this stuff and who's going to get it when you go? Because you can't take it with you. So what the psalmist says is, for me, I'll behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I am satisfied, Lord, with what you are, with who you are, with what you've given, with what you've done, with what you do. And understand this, that we ourselves... Each and every one of us here, those that are watching, each and every one of us has a life that has gone through a number of seasons. For those of us who have lived more than 50, 60, 70 years, we've gone through many, many seasons. But in our lives, we've gone through the seasons one time. What I mean by that is this. The passing seasons give us an indication of how life moves. Beginning with life-giving spring. We were all born somewhere and somehow. We came into this, into this life. That was the spring of our life. Our youth, our very, uh, you know, young, young uh, uh, Babe from babies on through toddlers and so on and so forth. That was our spring. But as we grew, that spring quietly transitions to the warmth of the summer sun. We began to learn more, know more, appreciate more in life. And as we would grow, then we would mature and later on, we, held, we, we, we had to deal with other challenges in life. The older you get, the more things that you have to deal with. So we transitioned from the summer sun where we we're vital in our lives to the place where we changed to autumn. And autumn is the time of great change. The colors change and the trees Many of us love autumn because of that. We see something that's different. It's cooler. But in our own lives, it's reminding us that we're not getting younger. And eventually, autumn leads into the winter of our lives. The more difficult part of life. 
in comparison to the other seasons. The winner of our life is now moving toward the end of a full life. The pattern, this pattern reveals the path from infancy to youthfulness, to maturity, though some older folk don't always act so mature. But there is an urgency here. There is an urgency. Death is coming. And it lasts a long time. Death is coming and it lasts a long time. So enjoy the tasks at hand. Savor the blessings the Lord provides. Share them with one another. For the days of darkness are coming when enjoyment in this life will cease. In this life. This is what we're talking about. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know that there's a life beyond this. Jesus has promised that. It's called eternity. We'll get to that in just a moment. We're just talking about the joys now. The joys that we can have now. No matter what is going on in this world. No matter what we see happening. Because you see, to those without Christ in this world, they... uh, uh, They only have the present. The present is all that they have. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die. I mean, listen listen to the Apostle Paul point this out in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. He says, if after the manner of men, and remember that what, what, what Paul was talking about here was the fact that there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection life. But he inserts this. He says, if, if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me? What does it, how can that be an advantage to me if the dead rise not? If there's no resurrection, and here I have fought with beasts at Ephesus for the sake of Christ, by the way. Let me put it that way. So what does he say? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. It'll matter not any, any time after we die. What he's saying is everything matters to God in this life because we'll stand before Jesus in judgment, all of us. The great, thr- uh, the, the, the great uh, um, the Bema Sea judgment of Christ, not, not the great white throne, that's for the ones who don't believe. But we who believe will stand before Christ for everything that we've done, both good and evil, both bad and good in this life. So everything matters. But those in this world living under the sun, hey, you eat, you drink, and tomorrow you die. And death, by the way, is a long time. And by the way, a couple of chapters earlier, Solomon made this point clear when he wrote in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. When you get in the grave, you're not going to be able to do the things that you wanted to do on this earth. So let's face it then. The rate of unemployment in the grave is precisely 100%. The rate of unemployment in the grave 
is 100%. No one is employed in the grave. No one can do anything in the grave. Consider, if you will, the warning that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. You've received your comfort in this life, in other words. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. You see how the tables are turned? If you live under the sun, you strive for everything here. But a day comes if you are not in God, if you are not in Christ, if you are not in the love of God. You die and nothing else happens. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And that suggests, of course, that weeping and gnashing of teeth in eternity, separated from God. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Jesus is making it very clear to us. The importance of everything we do on this earth as believers living above the sun. Not living under the sun, but above the sun. Because we live for God. We don't live for man. We don't live for ourselves. We live for him. And so Solomon is leading to a conclusion that will tie together everything that he has said. As he nears the end of his message... He reverts back to his main point. Everything under the sun is meaningless, unsatisfying, empty, and futile. Meaningless, unsatisfying, empty, and futile. You know one word? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. All is meaningless. All is unsatisfying. All is empty and all is futile, living under the sun without God. Without God and without, being, without living for God. He had sought the true meaning of life in everything possible. That's what this book is about. He went out to seek everything that he could in this life. And yet no matter what he tried, it failed to bring him meaning or genuine satisfaction. Now, he admonishes us to heed this warning. The senior years are no different. The senior years are no different. Many are deceived into thinking that somehow in their twilight years, all the wrongs of their lives will be righted. But let them remember the days of darkness are coming. And when they do, life apart from God will still be empty.
Life apart from God will still be empty. Some people live under this idea that, you know, they, you know, they, they want to live their lives for, with, with good karma, you know. Uh, they want to let their bad things or, or their good things outweigh the bad things in this life, you know. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. We're born in sin. We need to come to God who will forgive us. And he's made a way for us to do that, just that for us. By sending his only begotten son, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Without him, life only gets worse. Without him, life will never get better. Win the lottery tomorrow. Win the millions of dollars that they promise you. Well, Forget the, the millions that they take for taxes. And think that you've, you've reached the pinnacle of your life. You've reached nothing. For the next day, you may just be called out of this world. And what will those riches do for you? So the Lord makes the difference. The Lord makes the difference. He alone gives satisfaction. He alone gives fulfillment. He alone gives us meaning to life. And I think that that is, that, that is a, a good aim toward the conclusion of this book. We're not there yet, but, but to think that all the things that he said we will not have by living under the sun, by living in vanity and the vanity of vanities, by living in meaningless and emptiness and, and unsatisfaction and, and no fulfillment. What he's saying is there is all of those things, but you will find them in God alone. You will find them in living your life for the God who created the heavens and the earth. Remember that Jesus himself said in John 10, verses 9 through 11, he said, I am the door. Later on, he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But here in John 10, 9, he says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Satisfaction. And everything that God provides and everything that God gives. He says, the thief, the thief cometh not but for to kill, for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's, the, that's what the enemy does. That's what the enemy's trying to do today in our own country. Take away the knowledge of God and people, especially our young people. That's stealing, killing, and destroying. But Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life 
and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And that has to remain our great motivation to live every, every day of this life for Christ. To live this life every day as it could be our last. Because God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness in Jesus. For what? For eternity. Which is what we're coming to talk about here in just a moment. But it's the joy we have now. It's, it's, it's no mistake that to the children of Israel, God says to, him, to them that his joy is their strength. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In this life, for the life to come. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, uh, Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency. Notice, not just some sufficiency, all sufficiency. Living under the sun, you are not satisfied. You're empty. And life eventually becomes meaningless. You know who you can thank for that? Evolutionists. All these quote-unquote professors and doctors, you know, and PhDs. Which, by the way, you know, I've all, a PhD, I remember one preacher saying, that's just means post-hole digger. But here they are telling you, oh, we, you know, billions and billions of years and, you know, dinosaurs lived here and, you know, this and that and blah, blah, blah. Then you get them trying to philosophize and they say, well, we're just living on this little blue dot out in nowhere, randomly, just, you know, all these molecules got together and just but ended up where they are. You know what that means? Life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. Paul says that you always have all sufficiency in all things that abound, uh, may abound to every good work. That everything you do is to do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Because he has provided you all sufficiency. Tonight, right here, right now, we all have everything we need for life and godliness because of Jesus. Ephesians 3, verses 19 through 21. Paul said, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Believers are to be filled with the fullness of God. That is now, not next week, not next year, not in eternity when we get to the gates of heaven, you know, gates of heaven and Peter's there to give out fullness. No, Peter doesn't give us anything. He gives us a lot to read in his books. He gives us a lot to learn about his life in the scriptures, the book of Acts, in the gospels. Most of the time we look at Peter and we say, well, we're kind of like him. That's scary. But you know, 
Peter has such wisdom given to him by God for us. Read his, his two letters. Not having seen him, Jesus, you love. That's what he said. Not having seen him, you love. Here we are. Centuries later, we've not seen Jesus with the eyes like Peter did, but we love him. He's changed our hearts that much so that we can love him until we get to see him in all of his glory. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Life is a venture of faith on the road to joy. Life is a venture of faith also on the road to eternity. We look at verses 9 and 10 now. It says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes, but, but know thou. That's, that statement is, is, in a sense, a, a statement of warning. But know thou, that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. Childhood and youth under the sun are vanity. Now vanity, in its most basic sense, means fleeting or even brief. Now it does mean the things that we've applied to it. Uh, emptiness, meaninglessness. unsatisfaction, non-fulfillment. But it's fleeting. And it, it describes that if you have this vain attachment to things in life, they're going to disappear pretty quickly. Like that soap bubble that you try to blow out while washing your hands or showering, you know. And it just pops and it's gone. They don't last. The days of your youth will soon burst. So Solomon encourages us to make the most of them while we can. Make the most of your youth while you can. Verse 9 is, is not an encouragement to go out and do those things that satisfy, that satisfy sinful desires, no. Or, or, or to have a rebellious or wild lifestyle. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this, in effect, he says, live life to the fullest in your work, live life to the fullest in love, and in the enjoyments of God's good gifts. That is how you're to live your life. But God has to be a part of that, you see. And here's why. Because in James 1, verses 17 and 18, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits 
of his creatures. How much God loved us. That he caused us to be born again with the word of truth. Every good gift is from God. And the Lord will judge us as to whether we have made the most of them. The Lord will judge us if we, as to whether we've made the most of everything that he's given us in our youth and in our lives. Certainly all of us will stand before the Lord for the things done in this life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 8 through 10, we are confident, I say. Paul says, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's speaking to believers. So every believer must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. In another place, of course, Paul, we've talked about this before, Paul mentions uh, gold, silver, precious jewels, wood, hay, and stubble. You know, what is it that we will be receiving as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ for the life that we've lived here? Gold, silver, and precious jewels, of course, will go through the refiner's fire. They will come out pure. What he and stubble going through any refiner's fire is going to burn up. Which, which is a good thing because we don't want that. In effect, it's the things that we do on this earth is not a bad or a good thing. It's, it's the fact that it's nothing that's eternal, of, of eternal value. What is of eternal value will remain. And what's interesting about that is that if silver, gold, silver, and precious jewels remain in our lives, what are we going to do with those in eternity? We're going to do one thing. We're going to cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus. So have something to cast at the feet of Jesus by living your life for the Lord here on this earth. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19 says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I know that I've quoted this before, but, but it's good for us to come back to see that little phrase, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. What we have, we should enjoy in Christ. We should enjoy it in Him. We can, we can enjoy it in the fellowship of the saints. We can enjoy it in the fellowship of our families. And our friends, but he's given us things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Willing to communicate. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. Notice, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. We're talking about the joy of eternity here. We begin that here by enjoying with the things that God has given us to enjoy with one another, with others, with the needy. Let's enjoy them rightly though, rightly before him. 
And next, we're to remove sorrow. He tells the youth, remove sorrow. Remove anxieties or inner pain or any anger. Remove those things from your life. And put away the evil, danger, the harm, the pain that can be done by and to the flesh. We're having an ultra-sensitive world today. Where so many people, you know, have this, you know, overt sensitivity to things. And I'm not trying to make light of this because a lot of times we have to consider the fact that, you know, the, the, the suicide rate in, in, in teens and preteens has gone up uh, substantially over the last 20, 30, 40 years. And, and it's painful to see. People get hurt, you know, they get, you know. I, I know that people committed suicide in, in generations past, but, you know, so often, you know, if somebody lets you down for some reason, they say, ah, just move on, you know. That doesn't seem to happen too often anymore. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, youthful sins lay a foundation for aged sorrows. Think about that. Youthful sins lay a foundation for aged sorrows. If, if, if a heart is not repentant, if a heart does not come to God, if a heart does not surrender to the Lord Jesus, you, you carry the sins of your youth to the end sometimes. This is where so many people toward the end, no matter if they were rich or poor, you know, they die with so many regrets. I believe I mentioned last week that, you know, for a believer, we have no regrets. For we've come to realize who it is that leads us and guides us through our daily life and gives us hope for the future. Childhood and youth are so brief. Make the most of them because you will never see them again. Live them in light of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. Live them to bring glory to him and to him alone. Let me say in closing that when we grow older, our bodies may become pain-wracked and weary, our minds baffled by adverse circumstances, and our hearts saddened by losses. I think that in the last 10 months or so, in effect, uh, the, you know, the last maybe eight months, has been some of the hardest ones that we've ever had to live through. We've, we've lived through a lot, but this has been weird. I mean, and I use the word carefully, weird. I've oftentimes used the term crazy or insane, and, and they are, because what we're seeing is a lot of the wrath of, of, of the enemy uh, coming out in so many different forms and so many different ways through so many different people. And, and it burdens our hearts. We wonder what, what is tomorrow gonna bring? What, what will come now? You know, we don't see normal, normality or normalcy happening. So what's the next thing? So when you just consider life itself, 
you grow older, your, your bodies become racked with pain, you, you become weary. These things happen, but our steadfast faith, which for some dates from childhood, some of you became believers as, as children. Some of us came to the Lord a little bit later, but still youthful enough to, you know, to, to have a heart of a child to, you know, to grow in faith. But that steadfast faith has stood the test of the years for many of us. And that will enable us to rise above all of those circumstances, above all of those trials. In times of adversity, God often brings verses of Scripture to our memories that we learned either as children or as young believers. The songs of devotion that we lifted up so sincerely when we were young run through our minds again. I say that as a product of the Jesus movement of the, of the early 70s. A lot of times when I have the, the privilege of, of, of leading in worship, I, I go to those songs because that's, that, that was for me the beginning of my life in Christ. Simple songs of faith. Simple songs of scripture to remind me how wonderful our God is. How great is our God? How great is his name? How great are his wonders? How great are his works? I don't like to sing songs about us. I want to sing songs about him. I'm thankful that I can give testimony, but I want to sing songs about the Lord. I want Jesus to be glorified. I want Jesus to be honored. There's nothing in me to be honored. There's everything in Christ to be honored. And it is by these things that we're spiritually sustained. The last few chapters, or the last few uh, verse uh, uh, references that I've given you was Paul speaking to a young Timothy, a young man. And I want to close with two passages, one in 1 Timothy 4, verses 12 through 16. For Paul says to him, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. In word, in conversation, which means in your conduct. In charity, which means in, in, in agape love. In spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example, he's saying to a young man. Don't let anybody despise your youth. When there is a, a youth movement that is firmly based upon the word of God, firmly based upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, firmly based on Christ himself, those youth will move this world. It'll turn it right side up. He goes on and he says, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Where is that in the church today now? Where is that in our youth movements today in the church? Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. <clears throat> by the way, you know what that means? Meditate upon these things and don't stop meditating upon them. Don't stop meditating on the word of God. 
Don't start buying into one new movement here and one new movement there in the church. A lot of movements, by the way, if you're not careful, will lead you away from the word rather than into the word. Meditate upon these things. Give, give thyself wholly to them, fully, completely to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Your testimony as a young person in Christ will be seen by all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Did you notice yourself and the doctrine? Take heed. Be aware. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. He says, young people, be preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love Christ to the point that you have only one thing to say. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And lastly, when Timothy was much older, Paul had to say this. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender stripes. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt or able to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him. That is well. When we grow, as we see from the young Timothy to the older Timothy, we face different circumstances and different situations, different trials. But if we stay in the doctrine of the word of God, all of us, I'm talking to all of you as young people today. I don't see any old people here at all. You know why? Because Jesus made us all new. And you're a new creature in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if your bones creak a little bit like mine did this morning, you know, don't worry about it. Get on your knees and give thanks to God. And then ask somebody to help you up from your knees because you, <laughs> please help me, I'm a little stuck down here. But understand this. You're as young as God wants you to be in his service.